Hello, I'm your host, Luke, and uh, this is probably part one of part two of uh, the UFO sightings before, uh, to me, Roswell, that was the defining one. These are called the, or these are known as the mysterious airship um, UFO sightings, where a lot of these sightings are not like the saucer-shaped craft you would think they would be, but they're instead um, like like ships out of the you know age of exploration held aloft with like propellers and whatnot. It's they're really weird sightings, but uh, their mystery airships or phantom airships are a class of unidentified flying objects best known from a series of newspaper reports originating in the western U.S. and spreading east during the late 1896 and early 1897. According to researcher Jerome Clark, airship sightings were reported worldwide during the 1880s and 1890s. Um, typical airship reports involve nighttime sightings of unidentified lights, but more detailed accounts reported ships comparable to a dirigible. Uh, reports of the, mis of the alleged crewmen and pilots usually describe them as human-looking, although sometimes the crew claimed to be from Mars. It was popularly believed that the mystery airships were the product of some inventor or genius who was not ready to make knowledge of his creation public. Um, it has been frequently argued that mystery airship sightings are unlikely to represent test flights of real human manufactured dirigibles as no record of su successful sustained or long range airship flights are known from the period and quote, it would have been impossible not to mention irrational to keep such a thing secret. Um, wait. So to the contrary, however, there were in fact several functional airships manufactured before the 1896-1897 reports. Uh, but there were, their capabilities were far more limited than the mystery airships. Um, so these are uh, just one look at it. As day dawn, June 1st, 1853, students at Burritt College in Tennessee noticed two luminous, unusual objects just to the north of the rising sun. One looked like a, quote, small new moon, the other a large star. The first one slowly grew smaller until it was no longer visible, but the second grew larger and assumed a globular shape. Um, Professor A.C. Carnes, who interviewed the students and reported their sightings to Scientific American, wrote, The first one then became visible again and increased rapidly in size while the other diminished, and the two spots kept changing thus for about half an hour. Um, there was considerable wind at the time, and light fleecy clouds passed by showing the lights to be confined to one place. 
he went on to speculate that electricity might be responsible for the phenomenon. Um, on July 13th, 1860, a pale blue light engulfed the city of Wilmington, Delaware. Residents looked up into the evening sky to see a, its source, a 200-foot-long something streaking along on a level course 100 feet above. Trailing behind it were 100-foot intervals, cruising three, quote, very red and glowing balls. A fourth joined abruptly after the three after shooting out from the rear of the main object, which was giving off sparkles after the manner of a rocket. Uh, apparently during the 1850s and 1860s in Nebraska, uh, some people saw some phenomenon. Quote, "'Twas on a dark night in 66 when he was laying steel we saw a flying engine without no wing or wheel. It came a roaring in the sky with lights along the side and scales like the serpent's hide. Um, another one is from J.A.H. Murray on August 31st, 1895, when he saw, quote, a brilliant luminous body which suddenly emerged over the tops of the trees before me on the left and moved eastward across the sky above and in front of me. Its appearance was, at first glance, such as to suggest a brilliant meteor, considerably larger than Venus at her greatest brilliancy, but the slowness of the motion made one doubt whether it was not some artificial firework. I watched for a second or two till it neared its culminating point and was about to be hidden from me by the lofty college building on the old and new um, buildings of the college as it continued its course towards the eastern horizon. It became rapidly dimmer and finally disappeared behind a tree. The fact that it was so perceptibly growing fainter as it receded seems to imply that it had not a very great elevation. Its course was that was slower than that of any meteor that they've ever seen. So I just wanted to read off a quick um, list of uh, other supposed UFO sightings, you know, before Roswell. Around 1440 BCE, uh, according to the disputed Thule papyrus, the scribes of the pharaoh the III reported that fiery disks were encountered flo floating over the skies. The Condon Committee disputed the legitimacy of this papyrus, stating Thule was taken in and that the papyrus is a fake. Um, in 218 BCE in Rome, a guy by the name of Livy records a number of portents in the winter of this year, including uh, phantom ships, that had been seen gleaming in the sky. In 76 BCE, from Pliny the Elder, a spark fell from a star and grew as it descended until it appeared to be the size of the moon 
It then ascended back up to the heavens and was transformed into a light. In 74 BCE, according to Plutarch, a Roman army commander commanded by Lucullus was about to begin a battle with Mithridates VI of Pontus when, quote, all of a sudden the sky burst asunder and a huge flame-like body was seen to fall in between the two armies. In shape, it was almost like a wine jar and in color like molten silver. Plutarch reports the shape of the object as like a wine jar. The apparently silvery object was reported by both armies. In 196 CE, historian Cassius Dio described a fine rain resembling silver descending from the sky under, upon the forum of Augustus. He used some of the material to plate some of his bronze coins, but by the fourth days afterwards, the silvery coating was gone. Um, so next one, we have the Nuremberg... Uh, Weird uh, sighting from 1561. Residents of Nuremberg saw what they described as an aerial battle, followed by the appearance of a large black triangular object, and then a large crash outside of the city. The broadsheet claims that witnesses observed hundreds of spheres, cylinders, and other odd-shaped objects that moved erratically overhead. Um, in Switzerland, in 1566, a broadsheet published in that year depicted numerous spherical objects appearing out of the sun. This event is depicted in a 16th century woodcut by Samuel Coach and Samuel Aparius E. In 1609, on September 22nd in 1609, multiple witnesses reported seeing a UFO in Gosang Wonju Gangyang. Uh, it looked like a halo or wash bowl and was divided into two. In 1668, um, in Hungary, the first mentions of UFOs in Slovakia is from 1668 in the town chronicles where the chronicler describes a silver lizard flying in the sky. And then I've already done uh, one on Utsuro Bune. You can watch my YouTube channel if you want a video on that. Um, in 1883, uh, in Mexico, the astronomer Jose Bonilla reported that he saw more than 300 dark unidentified objects crossing the sun disk while observing sunspot activity at the observatory in Mexico. He was able to take several photographs exposing wet plates at one one hundredth of a second. It was subsequently determined that the objects were high flying geese. So, yeah. And then we get to the um, Mystery airship sightings. Um, da, 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 da.
Okay, so now we get to the 1896 and 1897 sightings. So, for five months beginning in November 1896, newspapers across the country um, described strange aircraft and lights in the night sky above many western states. Um, on November 23, 1896, uh, a story originally reported by the San Francisco Chronicle was picked up by many newspapers across the U.S. Um, and it was like an airship. Um, about 1 o'clock last Monday morning, the inhabitants of Sacramento were astir at that hour, claimed to have seen an airship passing rapidly over the city. Some merely say they saw a bright light, while others went so far as to say they saw a cigar-shaped flying machine and heard human voices from it. The residents of Oakland also say that they saw the same light a few nights ago. Uh, apparently, a... George D. Collins also provided a quote for it. It's perfectly true that there is at last a successful airship in existence and that California will have the honor of bringing it before the world. I've known of the affair for some time and am acting as attorney for the inventor. He is a very wealthy man who has been studying the subject of flying machines for 15 years and who came here seven years ago from the state of Maine in order to be able to perfect his ideas away from the eyes of other inventors. During the last five years, he has spent at least $100,000 on his work. He has not yet secured the patent, but his application is now in Washington. I cannot say much about the machine he has perfected because he is his client and besides, he fears that the application will be stolen from the patent office if people come to know that his invention is practicable. He saw the machine last week at the inventor's invitation. It is made of metal, it is about 150 feet long, and is built to carry 15 persons. There is no motive power as far as I could see, certainly no steam. It is built on the aeroplane system and has two canvas wings 18 feet wide and a rudder shaped like a bird's tail. The inventor climbed into the machine, and after he had been moving about the mechanism a moment, he saw the thing began to ascend from the earth very gently. The wings flapped slowly as it rose, and then a little faster as it began to move against the wind. Um, the Sioux City Journal um, also reported on this. The reports from Sacramento the other night were true. It was the client's airship that people saw. It started from Oroville and Butt County, Butte, I guess, and flew 60 miles in a straight line directly over San Sacramento. After running up and down once or twice over the capital, his friend came right upon a distance of another 50 miles and landed at a spot on the Oakland side of the bay where the machine now lies, guarded by three men. The inventor found during his trial trip that his ship had a wave like motion that made him seasick it is this def defect that he is now remedying on the following day 
The Bismarck Daily Tribune offered additional information about both the inventor and the latest test flight, once again quoting the attorney, which, okay. The inventor of the mysterious airship, which has been puzzling local scientists and others for the past week, is believed to be one Dr. E.H. Benjamin, an alleged dentist who occupied rooms in an Ellis Street lodging house for the past two years, but so far he has successfully evaded all attempts to discover his identity. His attorney, Collins, when seen and pressed to tell more about the machine and its inventor, said, quote, This morning, the inventor came to my office in the Crocker building and told me he had tested the merits of the ship in last night's storm with greatest success. He hovered over seal rocks for fully 10 minutes and played his searchlight on the seals themselves. However, in its conclusion, the same paper expressed some doubt about the reports. A dispatch was received from Sacramento to the effect that hundreds of people there had seen the mysterious meteor in, meteor in the heavens, but as yet, no one has been able to see the object sufficiently well to state exactly what it is. So within a week, the Sunday Oregonian print article, The Lair of the Faker, exposing the mysterious airship as a prank. Um, so wide attention has been drawn to the newspaper sent out from San Francisco of a mysterious airship invented by a man from Maine, built in secret and launched from a retired spot south of San Francisco, whence it's made long voyages back and forth over the state. Told with a clumsy imitation of all Swift's wealth of detail, including an interview with the, quote, counsel of the inventor, a lawyer who afterward denied all knowledge of either inventor or airship, but was swallowed gluttonously by the people of Cali, who blocked the streets nightly to imagine that they saw the, quote, oblong white body enveloped in dim light as it traveled to and fro in the air. Apparently, Californians are still gaping up into the empty night, though the falsity of the story has been proved. Of course, no person of intelligence ever believed it. For several months after that article reports of mysterious airship, Sightings became scarce, suggesting it had, in fact, been a hoax. Uh, da, 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 da. On March 30th, 1897, the Idaho Daily Statesman published an article under the headline, Saw the Airship. Reputable Omaha citizens witnessed the passage of the aerial flyer, claiming the mysterious airship came into view in the southeastern portion of the horizon. It was in the shape of a big, bright light, too big for a balloon, and glowed steadily. Um, four days later, on April 3rd, 1897, Philadelphia Inquirer report, reported another sighting. That mysterious airship still continues to show itself in the West. It was first seen in California, and it has now reached Kansas. With rare modesty, it only makes its appearance at night, and then but little of it is visible, except the lights that are on board of it. <laughs> Which, I thought they hadn't invented electricity yet, but I don't know. 
The fact that scores of people who have seen it at different times all agree in the descriptions which they furnish is certainly something in favor of the truth of the story. As the inventor appears to be working with his way east, we in this latitude may soon have the opportunity of adding to the number of observers. Uh, so apparently then the airship turned south according to an article on April 8th told, titled Strange Object Seen and There Shall Be Signs Seen in the Heavens. Soon a bright light was seen at the front of the object which seemed to be thrown out in different directions. Mr. Trumbull called a number of people who watched the strange shadow E object for a long time and are confident it is the mysterious airship seen at so many places during the past few weeks. Its outlines were indistinct, but a light was thrown out from the front, and at times there were flashes of light along the sides. It moved swiftly and backward and forward, sank almost to the ground just north of the city, and then rose straight into the air at great speed and disappeared into the darkness of the night. On April 14th of that year, um, the Philadelphia Inquirer provided additional information about the airship's inventor um, and the possibility of the airship being openly displayed. Um, and now comes the story that the director of the Trans-Mississippi Exposition to be held at Omaha have received a communication from a man who declares that he has invented an airship that he will disclose his identity and come to the front if the directors will guarantee him 870,000 square feet of space. He declares that the ship will carry 20 people to a height of from 10 to 20,000 feet. Um, By mid-April 1897, the Dallas Morning News was reporting a sighting nearly every day. Uh, another one was, I at first thought it was a meteor, but upon a closer examination, discovered the unknown object to be almost stationary, and focusing his binoculars on it, discovered that it was moving slowly in a southeasterly direction. At this slow rate of speed, the ship continued its course for a few minutes, and then with almost a jump, started off at a terrific rate and disappeared in the southeast, remaining in the range of his vision about 20 minutes. When he first ascertained the character of the object, it floated about a half mile above the earth and seemed to be about 50 feet long of a cigar shape with two great mugs thrust out from each side a broad tail or steering sail behind, and a long beak or blade resembling a cut water on a ship in front. At the point where the searchlight threw its rays far into the night ahead, besides which even the luminosity of the moon paled. A row of windows along the side gave out smaller lights, the source of which has, must have been stored electricity as there was no smoke, as well as the I could see and I could very plainly see coming from the ship, nor was there any sign of a smokestack. Um, I really like this depiction. I might make it the, I think it's in the public domain, but I don't know. It looks like a, 
Okay, like a wooden bow of a ship on the bottom, you know, long and thin and pointy on the ends. Uh, then like kind of buildings on top of that. And then like a bunch of, a bunch of propellers uh, <laughs> holding it aloft and then a propeller on either side on the front and back and uh, like a flag, I don't know. The description is, I was engaged in making my usual rounds at the mill yesterday morning about two o'clock when I observed a faint but luminous object in the northeast sky. I first thought it to be a meteor of gigantic proportions and its speed appeared equal to such a planetary tramp. As it came nearer, this idea was quickly dispelled. I ran to the cabin of a uh, man by the name of Jim Smith, and together we viewed the aerial monster as it approached nearer. From what appeared to be at first a luminous cloud, there was now clearly outlined a monstrous ship. Myself and Smith were held spellbound by the sight. The ship had cells or wings outstretched on both ends, there were large rotating fans projecting from the cells at an angle of about 45 degrees. The one in front being elevated while the one at the rear was depressed, somewhat resembling the tail of a bird. We could only gain a faint idea of its accurate size, but think it must have been 200 feet long, the cells or wings constituting nine-tenths of the hole. The cigar-shaped cabin, you know, pointing at the ends and kind of like juts out, the cigar-shaped cabin was apparently suspended in the midst of the cells, and there's evidence that the fans were propelled by some power or force located in the cabin. The noise of the propelling machinery was plainly heard as the ship sailed swiftly over us. My dog was with me when the airship was first discovered, and he immediately set up an unearthly moaning, which he continued until the curious visitor was completely lost to view. Smith was visibly affected, and being naturally superstitious, lost no time in falling to his knees and uh, Smith went on to claim the airship was none other than the return of Noah's Ark, with wing-like attachments on its way towards the Mississippi bottoms, its mission being to save the... Yeah. The kind of gets into the how people spoke of certain other people of the time, so I'm not going to read that. Um, so another description is, the airship consists of a cigar-shaped body about 60 feet in length, to which is attached two immense aeroplanes, and the motive power is an immense wheel at each end, in appearance much like a metallic windmill. Is driven by an immense electric engine, which derives its power from stored batteries. The crew reported that they had been making an experimental trip to comply with a contract with certain capitalists of New York who are backing them. They are confident that they have achieved a great success and that in a short time the navigation of the air will be an assured fact. They refused to have their machine critically inspected and refused to talk further as to their plans for the future. They rapidly made the necessary repairs, boarded the ship, and bidding adieu to the astonished crowd assembled, 
ship rose gently in the air and sailed off in a southwesterly direction. Um, so from an article headline, C.G. Williams saw it, um, includes a similar description of an airship in conversation with the crew who were also engaged in a secretive business venture. Oddly enough, the crew had not landed for repairs, but rather for the altogether earthly purpose of mailing some letters. Uh, so uh, another description is, for a distance of about five miles in the Ivanhoe country, the air does not contain sufficient buoyancy to float the ships. The company expect to overcome the difficulty by either bridging or tunneling. The stockholders, backed by the local newspapers, have all the necessary material on the ground to carry out the enterprise except the bridging ships. Um, So a Judge Love in April of 1897 tells of a conversation he had with an airship crew he came across while on a fishing trip. The judge offered a common description of the craft, adding that it was capable of a speed of 250 miles an hour before recounting what he was told by the five oddly dressed men. We live in the regions of the North Pole. Contrary to the general belief, there is a large body of land beyond the polar seas containing about 250 square miles of territory. The first time this land was visited by human beings, so far as we know, was when the lost 10 tribes of Israel found their way after the captivity and dispersion of the, yeah. According to tradition, they were attempting to cross Bering Straits and were carried by a floating iceberg and landed on the shores of North Pole land. The climate there, while at the time cold, was prevented from being uninhabitable by the influence of the Gulf Stream, which after flowing for hundreds of miles, many fathoms under the surface of the sea in that region, came to the surface and flows entirely around the continent of North Pole land. You wonder how I speak English? Well, the polar ex expedition of Sir Hugh Willoughby in 1553, who with his crew was supposedly lost, as a matter of fact, succeeded in reaching North Pole land. The ship had been so wrecked and broken up by the voyage that him and his crew were unwilling to risk a return trip. Therefore, they re remained at North Pole land. In the early part of 1846, Sir John Franklin's crew reached North Pole land Sir John, having died near what is now called Lady Franklin Bay, Sir John's crew remained as to return was impossible. The ship being crossed between two icebergs 100 miles from North Pole Land, to which they went in boats, in addition to the foregoing various parties in the U.S. and Europe from time to time reached this land in a helpless condition. Well, we have a splendid country now. You know how buildings are heated by steam? Well, we have pipes through which steam is conveyed all over the inhabitable part of the country, and the soil is kept at such a temperature that we can produce all the fruits of the temperate zone and some of the fruits of the tropics. The country is lighted by electricity during the six months of night. We have no timber and no coal. Water, as you know, is composed of two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen. 
The oxygen burns very rapidly, giving out great heat. Now, by means of a chemical process, we take an iceberg, uh, separate the hydrogen from the oxygen, and use the latter for fuel and lights. For lack of timber, we cannot build ships or trains. Therefore, we were led to the invention of the airship. Um, so while a previously unknown continent seems beyond belief, it pales when compared to the claims in the final Dallas Morning News article the same day, uh, quote, a windmill demolishes it. Um, The article says, about 6 o'clock this morning, the early risers of Aurora were astonished at the sudden appearance of an airship which had been sailing through the country. It was traveling due north and much nearer the earth than ever before. Evidently, some of the machinery was out of order, for it was making a speed of only 10 or 12 miles an hour and gradually settling towards the earth. It sailed directly over the public square, and when it reached the northern part of town, collided with the Tower of Judge Proctor's windmill, and went to pieces with a terrific explosion. So the airship blew up. Scattering debris over the several acres of ground, wrecking the windmill and water tank and destroying the judge's flower garden. Pilot of the ship is supposed to have been the only one on board, and while his remains are badly disfigured, enough of the original has been picked up to show that he was not an inhabitant of this world. Junior T.J. Weems, the U.S. Signal Service officer at this place and an authority on astronomy, gives it as his opinion that he was a native of the planet Mars. Papers found on this person are written in some unknown hieroglyphics and cannot be deciphered. The ship was too badly wrecked in any form to form any conclusion as to its construction or mode of power, it was built of an unknown metal, resembling somewhat a mixture of aluminum and silver, and must have weighed several tons. The town is full of people today who are viewing the wreck and gathering specimens of the strange metal from the debris. Pilot's funeral will take place at noon tomorrow. So a local town felt um, I don't get, uh, yeah. So I'm going to save the rest of this for part two. Um, I also saw that there's a book on Amazon on the airship sightings of this. I couldn't find as many as I wanted to. So I think I'm going to leave it here and uh, get that book and read more of these airship descriptions to you guys because I, to me, that's worth it. So thank you for listening. This has been your host, Luke, uh, Reptilian Insider News, signing out. Hope you have a good night. Bye.